Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojan Subtle, where we tell it like it is. Friends, Inside the Trojan Subtle is a game-like panel discussion, which we posted on Tuesdays featuring WeRSC columnists, staff writers, and historians. We first start off with the pregame show, where we introduce our panel members for this edition of Inside the Trojan Subtle, and then give you the latest USC football news. First, let's meet today's panelists. A WeRSC columnist who writes WeRSC.com's The Monday Morass, Yay or Nay, and Sunday Takeaways, in addition to regular season football and basketball reports. He also hosts his own podcast show entitled Locked On USC. That's Mark Culkin, the editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com, columnist, national recruiting guru, and a graduate of USC. That's Eric McKinney. And a former William Jewell College defensive back and WeRSC columnist who writes the popular WeRSC.com column, Musings with Arledge, and now has his own weekly WeRSC.com video show, Musings with Arledge Solo Edition, and is a graduate of the USC Law School, that's Chris Arledge. And finally, a weekly WeRSC columnist who writes Fridays, The Obvious and Not So Obvious, IMHO Sunday, and is an active member of the Football Writers Association of America, your moderator and producer of Inside the Trojan Subtle, Greg Katz. Before we kick off this Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojan Subtle, here's a little recap of USC football news. On Monday, the Associated Press released its preseason top 25 national poll, and USC was ranked number six in the country. Trojans are behind number one, Georgia, number two, Michigan, number three, Ohio State, number four, Alabama, and number five, LSU. The Trojans are currently in mock game week, which prepares the Cardinal and Gold for next week's actual game week in preparation for the 2023 season opener against the San Jose State Spartans on Saturday evening, August 26th at 5 p.m. Pacific time. Game will be televised on the Pac-12 networks. And this Friday... Includes a buffet barbecue day, a program that will introduce me to see marching band. Evening will also include special appearance. It's open to the public for nine. The recruiting division of WeRSC.com. And daily during the week for our premium subscribers. And don't forget to watch each week WeRSC.com's video recruiting roundup show with Scott Schrader and host Dylan Brazier. Friends, we are SEs inside the Trojan Huddle. Greatly appreciate your viewer and listenership, and we strongly encourage those of you watching on sites like YouTube to click on the like and red subscriber button. It's greatly valued. free. You can also listen to Insights on most available podcast sites, and RSE.com is offering unlimited access $99 per month or $99 for a full one-year premium subscription. You don't want to miss the site that really does tell it like it is and shoot straight with USC and college football fans. All right, we're in regular season mode. It's our mock week here at Inside the Trojan Subtle. So today's uh, podcast, uh, video cast will be what you will see during the regular season. And we start off with the first quarter. Panel, we kick off the first quarter of Inside the Trojan Saddle with this. 
As mentioned in the opening intro of the huddle, the AP has released its preseason top 25, and the Trojans are number six in the country. Also in the AP top 25 are USC opponents Washington, number 10, Notre Dame, number 13, Utah, number 14, and Oregon, number 15. And as an added Pac-12 note, Oregon State was ranked number 18, which means the Pac-12 has almost half of its teams in the AP top 25, more than any other teams in the conference or conferences around the country. And by the way, UCLA was just outside the top 25. So with all that business taken care of, let's begin. Panel, what is your reaction to USC's number six ranking, your reaction to SC's opponent's rankings, and your overall reaction to the preseason AP top top 25? As we do here on Inside the Trojans Huddle, our leadoff man as always, Mark Culkin. Tell us all about it. What do you think about number six ranking, the opponents the USC is facing, their ranking, and your overall reaction to the preseason AP Top 25? It's all yours. All right, cool. So um, number six, I'm fine with it. Number five, I look, if I'm the vote, if I'm a voting member, I probably flip-flop those two. Uh, I, I think the voters are thinking, well, LSU has the better defense, and until USC proves it, they do. But uh, I'm pretty confident that USC's quarterback is better than LSU's, as well as the offense. And so, again, we're, I'm probably, you know, flipping half a dozen in one hand and six in the other. I'm okay with it, but just from an optics point of view, I think USC probably deserves to be ahead of LSU. And then overall, you know, when you look at the the other Pac-12 teams that are being that, that are ranked, uh, that Utah one is interesting, especially considering the the uncertainty of Cam Rising. Um, their backup quarterback right now might not be available, and I know what their schedule looks like. So, you know, are these top twenty are these preseason top twenty five rankings the projection of how things are going to end at the end of the season or where things are currently today? Because I don't think Utah is going to be, uh, you know, ranked number what are they fourteen. Um, by the time that USC game rolls around. Uh, Washington, I think, is okay where they're at. Notre Dame, they play Ohio State early. So that's going to, you know, change the outlook uh, real quickly. Other than that, you know what, as far as the preseason poll when it comes out, it's for the fans. It's cool. Uh, but you probably shouldn't rank any team till after their very first game. You actually have an idea of what they look like. What what their strengths might be, what their weaknesses could be, and, and go from there. It's it is what it is. Number six is just fine. I don't think anybody's really complaining. Okay, Eric, are you complaining or are you happy? Uh, give us your thoughts on those three particular subjects. You know me; I never complain. Uh, no, never. never. I, I think it's. I think six is is probably right. I'm I'm actually surprised that they're not lower because not not that I would move them lower, but the the USC defense of 2022 became such a national story and talking point all off season that it would not have surprised me if AP voters and and the coaches pull. I mean, AP and coaches pull USC at at number six in both of them. It wouldn't have have shocked me had they been dropped a couple just based on that because I, I don't think everybody nationally really understands yet 
what USC did defensively this offseason. And so I think it might take a little while for if they play as well as kind of we we think that they might be able to play on that side uh, this year. It might take a little bit for that to, to kick in. So I could have seen them getting punished, but I do think being there at six outside of that top group that was clearly going to be the top, I think four, uh, I, I, that's a statement to Lincoln Riley and, and just how good that offense is that, that you just could not drop them even based on what they did defensively last year. You couldn't keep them out of that, that top six group because there's just that much respect for what they can do offensively. Yeah. I, I, I think it's an easy argument to make that they could be above LSU to, to open the season uh, you're not going to put them above Alabama just because of recent track record that that jumps just not going to happen. Uh, the Ohio state thing. I, I think if Ohio state doesn't have a, a quarterback, at least CJ Stroud's not back. So there is some kind of what's going to happen there. But again, the trip, the recent track record, I understand them being there. So six, I think is a, is a pretty uh, solid ranking for, for what, people could have done in, in terms of making a statement of we don't buy this defense. We don't think that they can beat, you know, good teams there. Uh, and then looking at the rest of the back 12, I think UCLA is probably a, a quarterback that has a couple career passes away from being in the top 25 also. And it's, it's what we knew about USC's schedule, right? They're going to play probably a bunch of teams ranked in the top 20, top 15, maybe, in succession late in the year. And those are going to be really fun matchups, I think, to, to get to. All right, Chris, your thoughts on this, uh, on these three topics. So I don't have a, I don't have a problem with number six. I actually think there's a good chance that USC will be better than the number six team in the country this year. If the defense does what I think they'll do. Um, You know, I don't know about LSU. I, I get that. LSU had a, had a pretty good first year under Brian Kelly. And LSU is a program that always has a, a ton of talent. And because they play in the SEC West, they always have a ton of hype. But that, that LSU team uh, was not outstanding last year. And I'll tell you right now, um, if they played on a neutral field, they're going to have problems stopping Caleb Williams. So I, I I'm not sure that Michigan has the firepower, frankly, to hang with USC this year. Michigan's a good football team. They run the ball well. Last year, at least, they stopped it pretty well. I mean, up until their uh, their playoff game where they fell apart. But um, I don't think that's a defense that I, – I don't think that's a team that can score 40 points against a good team. Um, but maybe. And who knows? Maybe USC will give up 40 to everybody again. Uh, but I'm fine with number six. When it comes to the other rankings – I think Notre Dame's actually undervalued at 13. I think they're better than that. Notre Dame really struggled to start the year last year. It looked like they were going to go into a tailspin. They didn't. They pulled out of it. And that was with a lousy quarterback. You see, Notre Dame's quarterbacks last year were terrible. They go in the transfer portal and actually get a really experienced, proven guy in Sam Hartman. That Notre Dame team is going to be better. And I think I think they're... I mean, I, I look at uh, teams like what Florida State was coming in at what number seven, number eight. I pick Notre Dame over those guys on a neutral field. I think Notre Dame's a very good football team. Uh, the other teams seem to be about right. Utah at fourteen. I don't know if they don't have Cam Rising, that's a problem. But they probably played well enough and consistently enough over the last few years that they deserve that ranking. 
Oregon at 15. Again, Oregon's going to score a lot of points. Um, Oregon State at 18 also seems legitimate. That's a good football team. So, uh, and I'm with Eric. I think UCLA is probably a top 25 team. Chip Kelly doesn't recruit anymore, but he does pull people out of the transfer portal. And UCLA is going to score a lot of points. They're going to give up a ton and they're going to score a ton. They're going to be dangerous. So I could easily see them being a top 25 team late in the year, especially uh, especially because their their non-conference schedule is uh, is embarrassing. Like really like SEC level bad. It's really bad. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it, one last point on this. It's probably true, as, um, as Mark says, that you shouldn't have a preseason poll that matters. But it actually does matter because where you start, uh, where you start matters because if you start at number six rather than number 19, you're probably going to be the top-ranked one-loss team when, right, when, when everybody starts losing a game. I mean, that stuff matters. Where you start has a significant impact on where you end up if you don't completely collapse Clay Helton style. So starting number six actually, uh, actually does matter. Um, so I'll take it. That's a long way away of saying I'll take it, Greg. I don't know why it took me seven minutes to say that. but Because you're good at it. Well, I'll take very, it. Very exceptional. All right, I'm going to say that I like the, the SC at number six. When I, in the world of fantasy, in my brain, I go, okay, I like seeing, uh, obviously, Georgia would be number one, uh, Ohio State, Michigan. They'll face each other down the road there. Um, you know, all I keep thinking about LSU is, uh, you know, Jaden Daniels at quarterback and say, well, am I going to compare him to Caleb Williams? I don't think so. We all saw him, uh, you know, Daniels, I think when he's at ASU. So I like where SC is. I was a little surprised they, they were six. I thought maybe some people, I mean, there was one guy that uh, I think is Brett McMurphy. Uh, he, his AP poll had SC around number 14 or 15. It was, uh, he had, I think, even uh, Oregon State above USC, which I'm going, how could you do that when Caleb Williams is the best player in college football and he's the quarterback? I didn't get that, but everyone has their opinion. Um, I thought what I saw about the rankings of SC's opponents just reiterated what we already know. It's a brutal second half of schedule for USC. Any of those teams bunched up. Uh, from no- Notre Dame is undervalued. I totally agree with Chris. Uh, I think if all the quarterbacks are healthy, uh, you know what? It's how ironic is it that if the Pac-12 is going to go under and this is the last year of it, it should go out with a with a bang. Uh, the overall rankings I thought were pretty accurate the way I would have it. So, you know, when you when you look at it, just remember this. Uh, I think most of you already know this. There's a reason the college football playoff rankings don't come out. Later in the, it's a great thing for us, for the fans, and it's good. Speaking of the five rankings, what kind of a team will it take to Trojans in 2023, Mark? It's going to take... Uh, Hello. Take... Hello. Eric, are you with us? That's, that's you, Greg. Just let Mark answer. Okay, thank you. So I, I think it's going to take a team 
that we saw from Georgia last year, a team that can put up a lot of points, but also has a really good defense. If you don't have that combination, you're not going to beat USC. The closest teams that, you know, legitimately beat USC last year, you, you have to go back to that Oregon State game. And that was a team that found a defense for whatever whatever it was. They put it out there on the field, and it confused Lincoln Riley's offense early in the season. By the end of the year, that stuff wasn't working. Utah, which typically has the best defense in the conference, they were getting lit up by USC. What stopped USC was USC's inability to stop the other team and Caleb Williams being hurt in the conference championship game. So unless you have a roster that can put up points, and a lot of them, and you have a defense that can figure out how to stop USC's offense, I don't know if there's a team out there. It literally, we've heard John McKay talk about it way back in the day, and other coaches use the same cliche. It's not about them, it's about us. If USC does what they're supposed to do this year, I don't know if there's a team that can can stay with them. Again, I, you saw, I went to the extreme. I went to the top. I went right to Georgia. And if you want to take a step below them, you can say Alabama would probably have a similar type of result. So I, I, I don't know. USC's ranked number six for a reason. Chris made some really good arguments of, you know, are the teams above them worthy? We'll find out. That's why I say let's play one game first. Let's see what everybody looks like and then rank them. Because I agree, the rankings are important. The higher you start, the better. But let's, you know, let's everybody uh, go out there and give their first campaign speech, so to speak. Eric, what's it going to take to beat the Trojans in 2023? I think it's going to take a home team, or at least a a team playing on a neutral field. Uh, I I think you need to get them away from the Coliseum. And then it becomes tough because... What what we're guessing is what would it have taken to beat the 2022 Trojans, and that's be within 13 points going into the fourth quarter, and then and then you're good. Then you, then you're sailing to a win. So I don't know if you need to be if you need an explosive offense and score 50. What you need to be is buttoned up and take care of the ball and efficient. I think offensively, it's going to take kind of a, a veteran experienced team that will hold on to the ball and take the most advantage of every possession that they, that they have Uh, defensively, you're going to need to do something to confuse or, or fluster Caleb Williams and throw him off his game. We saw that in maybe three halves. I think last year he, there were kind of some, some questions about when you get on track and how he started a, a couple games and then, by and large, he turned out to be Caleb Williams in just about every game uh, that he played last year. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it might take a team where Caleb's not on the field for that game or parts of that game. Uh, that would be obviously a, a worst case scenario for USC. And I think probably a few teams might be able to get him uh, if that's the case. But yeah, it, it's going to be it's going to be a, you know, no turnover type of team that can hold on to the ball. Um, and then do something with its coverage to kind of frustrate Caleb Williams and and throw him throw him off his game. But again, we haven't seen this USC defense. I th- there is a significant level of confidence from the players, the coaches kind of 
coach speak it. They want to see it first. But the players absolutely are talking about the fourth quarters are not going to happen again. So so if any team is just kind of counting on we'll make a huge run and put up 175 yards and 16 points in the fourth quarter against this team, I think you're going to have to beat them for four quarters and and not just in that fourth quarter. So I do think it's going to take take a good team in sort of a, a wild atmosphere uh, to, to get these guys this year. Chris? Yeah, I think Eric's right. It's going to take a good team. Um, it's hard to imagine a bad team beating this USC squad. I, okay, so if, I'm, if I want to beat USC, it seems to me there are a couple things I have to do. One is I need to keep people in front of me. I can't give up the big play. Um, especially because Caleb Williams will get frustrated if you're not giving the big play sometimes. So I I don't want to play man defense. I don't want to play man defense because I don't think my number four, number five uh, cover guy is going to be able to play with USC's number four, number five cover guy. I'm not sure my number one or two are going to be able to handle their assignments. Uh, And, and, and if you're playing man defense, that means that, that means that everybody who has a man assignment can't be looking at the quarterback. And that means that if Caleb Williams gets a crease, he can run. I'm going to play a lot of zone. I'm going to keep things in front. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to get Caleb Williams frustrated. I want him to force some throws downfield and play behind the sticks. I want to get pressure on him, but I need the pressure to come not from blitzing. I need the pressure to come up the middle in his face. If you can bring pressure up the middle in his face, then then you have a chance to make him have a difficult time, especially if you're playing, if you're keeping everybody in front of you uh, in the secondary. So I think you're going to have to have a good defensive tackle or pair of defensive tackles. You're going to have to play smart defensively and be willing to give up 8, 10, 12-yard throws all day. I think you're going to have to be willing to do that. Um, this is why Utah is not going to beat USC, by the way, because Utah is going to play their usual form of aggressive defense. And like they did last year, right up until the point where Caleb Williams got, got injured, he is going to torch them without mercy. That's not the way to beat this USC team. I think you have to play different defensively. On offense, you're going to have to score points because the, the, the type of defense I'm describing is one that's still going to give up points. You're going to give it up on 11 or 12 play drives, not three play drives, but USC is going to score. You're just hoping you can force a few punts per half by, by having a frustrated Caleb Williams throw the ball downfield into traffic, and then you're at second 10, then you get a holding penalty at second 20 to get him off the field, right? So you're going to have to score in the high 30s. You're going to have to have a good defensive tackle. You're going to have to play very smart in the secondary, and you're going to have to beat USC in special teams, which may very well be possible because I don't know, I don't know how much USC pays attention to special teams. So those are the things you're going to have to do. Somebody will do it at some point this year, right? Going undefeated is very difficult, especially against a schedule like this. Somebody's probably going to do it. But most teams are going to get run off the field in the by the middle of the second quarter. So there are only going to be a few that are going to stick around and have a chance. And finally, I think Eric's right. I think it's going to have to be a road game. I think you're looking at Notre Dame or Oregon. I don't as good as Washington and and Utah are as as dangerous as UCLA is in the rivalry game. I think beating Caleb Williams and USC in the Coliseum this year is going to be extraordinarily difficult. I think you're looking at either the Ducks or uh, or the Irish that get it done, and that makes me sick to even say. But I think those are the teams that have a chance. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think the if SC is going to get beat, it's going to be either in South Bend or in Eugene. Uh, I think the bad news and the good news, the schedule, SC is going to have six games to figure it out. Hopefully everybody stays healthy during that exhibition season. So when they head to Notre Dame, uh, they know exactly who they are and what they are. Uh, if you just take it game by game, which is what everybody preaches and what you should do, I would not go against SC in any game because I think this team is much better prepared to go into South Bend and to Eugene. They've experienced the pressure at the end of last season. They'll have it more in perspective. They'll be used to, in some ways, uh, the attention to them. I think the only thing that would concern me is that the first game that really I think is going to be a a major challenge is in South Bend, and it's going to be a real step up in class. And uh, my my hope is if they get – I think if they get past that game, they'll be in really good shape. Uh, that that's going to be a real experience for them to go there and win there. And I think they can absolutely do it. So uh, I think you guys have given a pretty good roundup of what it's going to take to beat SC. So before we head to the second quarter, let's pay our attention to uh, USC and college football fans. Uh, have you found yourself caught in a frenzy of last minute ticket hunting? The stress, the uncertainty, it's a roller coaster. It's certainly something you don't need, but guess what? There's a game-changing solution, game time. Let's talk perks, incredible deals on last-minute tickets, and rock-solid best price guarantee. Say goodbye to ticket anxiety and hello to the sheer joy of being in the moment. Tickets are sent straight to your phone, and here's something special for Trojan fans. Head to GameTime.co, that's GameTime.co, not .com, Download the app, create an account, and use Trojans to knock a sweet $20 off your first purchase. That's right, $20 off to kick off your stress-free ticket journey. Don't miss out on this limited-time offer. Right now, you can get tickets at game time for the upcoming number 6 Trojans in San Jose State at the Coliseum between the goal lines for just $25. That's right, just $25 for good viewing seats between the goal lines. Uh, Download. Uh, game time today. I've already done it. So for the thrill of last minute tickets and the comfort of the best price guarantee, it's a good deal. Again, download the game time app, create an account, use code Trojans for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem Trojans for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices. With this, are in mock game weeks an opener against San Jose less than two weeks away in the uh, opening game. We just had um, uh, practice on uh, Monday, met with Lincoln Riley. Uh, Chris, uh, what is your overall hearing about the offense at this point? Well, I'm not sure that I know anything about the offense right now that I didn't know about the offense a few months ago. Um, USC is going to have the best quarterback college football scene in a very long time, maybe since Andrew Luck, maybe before that. Um, He can do everything. He's experienced. 
He's confident. His his teammates are extraordinarily confident in him. He has he has an offensive line that's big and experienced in front of him, and probably goes at least eight deep. And by the end of the season, may go nine deep or so. Uh, and he can spread it around to a ton of guys who can really run. This is not a team where you have to stop one or two guys. It's a team where you have to figure out what to do about Caleb Williams, who is an unbelievable talent, who has eight or ten guys who can make plays, including about half of that number that can score from anywhere on the field. I mean, this this is a USC uh, this is a USC group that can really run. So this offense is going to light people up. I mean, it's it's going to be unfair. The question marks are all on the other side of the ball. But when it comes to this offense, assuming assuming the key guys stay healthy, we should say the key guy stays healthy, this offense is going to destroy people. There's no defense in the country that would look at it and go in and say, I think we match up pretty well with these guys. I don't think Alabama or Georgia would say that. Alabama and Georgia are good enough and they're coached well enough that you would expect them to get some stops in the game, right? They're not going to just get run over. But the but Kirby Smart and Nick Saban would be looking at the film and saying, we have our work cut out for us because these guys can really play. That's just the way it is on this offense. It's a great group. Mark, you, you were down in practice. Uh, you know what's going on. You've had a chance to take a look at things. Where are we at this point with the offense during mock game week? I think at this point, what everything Chris said is, is – is accurate this team is going to be when you've got the best quarterback in the country you're going to be good on offense and Lincoln Riley he he stocks the cupboards with some of the top skill players in the country so Caleb has his toys to play with the offensive line is going to be you know an experienced offensive line I think where they're at right now and this is probably where they should be right now so when they get to next week um, all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed. It's You heard Caleb talk about it after practice. You know, he and the center need to make sure everybody's on the same page. And it's really about communication right now. Those guys know what they're doing. They want to make sure everybody who surrounds them, who surrounds Caleb and Justin, knows what they're doing as well. They don't want to be playing behind the sticks. It's the little things right now that they're working on. Uh, we, we saw USC's offense last year. And it was pretty good. I anticipate the second time around, it's going to taste even better. There are certain things when you serve it on the table, it tastes great the first time. But those leftovers, when everything kind of just has a chance to all those flavors to marry, it tastes even better the second time around. It's kind of like a meatloaf. This is going to be a really good tasting sandwich this year for USC's offense. Well, I have to admit, I don't like meatloaf. You like meatloaf, Mark? I love meatloaf. I hate meatloaves. I hate I, meatloaves, I, I, and I think I'm going to love this offense, so I reject everything he just said. <laughs> you know, it always gets down to meatloaf, doesn't it? Always. Uh, so, well, that's a good transition uh, to uh, ask uh, our next uh, panelist. Uh, yeah, tra- yeah, transition with meatloaf. Let's. I'm, I'm so excited for this. Here we go. The meatloaf of inside the Trojans huddle, Eric McKinney. Fire away. Okay. All right, so so a couple of things stand out about the offense. The the overall thought is that they're going to score a ton of points and they're going to be very good. The questions 
if if I have to stretch and kind of come up with questions, left guard is interesting to me along that offensive line uh, between likely starter, I think at this point, Emmanuel Pregnant coming over from Wyoming. What does he look like sort of fitting in, mixing, matching? And then Gino Cronones is, is there too as an option. I think you've got depth. You like all of that. What does it actually look like in a game? This is something where – Week one, there's going to be some stuff. You know, you you expect some penalties, that kind of stuff. You don't want to see, like, the procedural, absolutely kind of remedial penalties there. But you get in space and miss a block or something like that, kind of get used to game speed. I think you're going to see maybe maybe a couple of those things. The biggest question that I have, and it's more of, like, an interest than a real concern, when Jordan Addison announced his commitment to USC – you knew that's the number one guy when Caleb Williams has to make a throw on third and 13 coming out of his own end zone, he's going to find Jordan Addison. And guess what happened a bunch of times last fall coming out of his own end zone, third and long found Jordan Addison because he knew that guy's going to make a play. He's going to be open. I I can go to him. I'm curious if there is that guy this year, you talk about how many options he does have. It's really, really hard on an important third and 13 out of your own end zone to scan five different guys when there's a rush coming at you to know this guy is going to make a play. And I know I can go to him that that gives you that that peace of mind. I'm curious if a guy in that wide receiver court jumps up as that number one, I can go to him on 95% of the plays that he's on the field. Cause I know he's going to win a one-on-one. I know he's going to be open. I think there's guys there, right? I I think Zachariah Branch could be that guy. I think Dorian Singer is a an answer on any jump ball or anything where he's even remotely covered. You can still kind of find a way to him. I think Lincoln Riley has an offense that's going to get guys open all the time. There are going to be one-on-one battles that you have to win on the outside. Who's that guy or or maybe a couple guys for USC that can do that? But the running game, I think, is going to be really good. Marshawn Lloyd and, and Austin Jones and whoever lines up back there, I think the running game is going to be more potent with more big plays this year as compared to last year. That's been a clear focus uh, for them. I think that the receivers are interesting because, again, you've got eight, nine guys that that you probably trust uh, pretty well to go and make plays for you. I think you need that that number one guy. This is the sort of ace up my sleeve for Caleb where he gets that. I know I can go here and I know he's going to come up with a with a big play. I think I think we're going to find that out probably fairly early uh, in the season. And I do think there's going to be the ball's going to get spread around a ton uh, early on. That that's my kind of curiosity, I guess, with the offense, because there's no there's no concern. There's no concerns. At this point, as long as Caleb Williams is like 80% healthy, I, I think the, the offense is going to be fine. But do you like meatloaf, Eric? I'm, a, I'm agnostic on meatloaf. If it, if it comes out, that's fine. I'm, I'm probably not going to ask for it. Snobs. What about the second day, though? Mark is really well, pumping up the second uh, day of meatloaf. <laughs> Since Greg is going to spend all of his time frozen, let's just rip on meatloaf until he comes back. <laughs> well, you know what? I was just going to say, if you can hear me, apologies or listening 
we are having a broad connection and uh, uh so something we're aware of and paying attention we're saying but i will say about the offense in general thank you chris yeah, I just deleted him. Look, it's hard to it's hard to do a show from a Turkish prison, which is what Greg is trying to do today. Um, what Greg was going to say about the offense is it's going to be really good. Hey, he's back. Greg, we just went ahead and finished the show without you, man. <laughs> That's probably not a bad idea. Uh, well, where we are doing all the best we can with what we're doing here still doing a lot of lifting here for for greg hey eric told me this uh we got to do something can you hear me sometimes i my favorite part of this show so far has been your extended apology for your technical difficulties which was riddled with technical difficulties i thought that was fantastic well it was a it was a it was a teaching point it was heartfelt too Can we go to the next question? Can I talk about defense? Because I think I'm first up. I think I really should. I think we, we really should. Uh, you know, it's also a nice kind of... <laughs> he still wants to talk. Greg, you can't talk I, 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 anymore. I thought, like puppet night. I thought it was like puppet night where you just kind of move your lips and somebody else speaks for you. Um, I love that the stuff that comes in crystal clear just is, is the stuff with nothing to do with, with the show. <laughs> All right, we're going to try to maintain here. I would just say and wrap up to what I was going to say. I think the offense uh, will figure itself out. I think right now I want to know who the receivers, the backups are. You know, we haven't heard a lot about Dorian Singer, uh, and and I think he's expected to maybe replace Jordan Addison. Uh, but let's move on in the interest of technical difficulties. Uh, the defense, so Chris, uh, what do you think the defense jumps out to you at this point on defense from your understanding? The the thing that jumps out to me about the defense is the optimism. Uh, the optimism from the coaching staff, from the players, from the fans, from this panel. I mean, it's been so long since USC played even halfway decent defense that um, that it seems it seems a little bit crazy that you would have this many people who look at it and say, I actually think this is going to be a good group. And that is my position. I think this is going to be a good group. I think these guys will make plays. I think they will cause problems. Uh, part of that is the optimism of the offseason. I mean, currently there are probably UCLA fans saying, you know, I think we're going to pull in thirty or 40,000 a home game, which is wildly optimistic. But in the offseason, you can say that sort of thing. And believe it. And so part of it is the is the offseason optimism. Part of it is that USC is just so much more talented this year defensively than they've been. Um, if if you have if you have the the four key defensive line transfers healthy and playing, it's just hard to imagine that's not going to be a really good group. And if they're good there, you would expect that Mason Cobb is going to be able to play really well. He's played well in the past. Tackett Curtis appears to be not only not only old for a freshman, but actually way above the, the curve for a freshman. That kid can play. Eric Gentry can play. Uh, the secondary looks like it's going to be good. I mean, th- so that's what jumps out at me. We may all be 
two months from now, we may just get a string of comments from, from people on YouTube talking about how ridiculous we, we were pumping up this defense. But I think it's going to be a good group. I think it could be a top three or four defense in the conference. And if it is, if it is, USC is going to be very, very difficult to beat. Uh, you buy you buy into that, Mark? Yeah, I, I totally buy into it. Um, it. There is a quiet competence among this group right now. And, you know, you could, again, you can listen to the coaches talk and we can listen to the players, uh, you know, do their thing after after practice and talk. But there is there is a quiet competence going on among this among the group whether they're playing with that chip on their shoulder because they feel responsible for how the season ended last year, whatever the case may be, uh, it's there. And, you know, I know this defense is going to be pretty good because I read Eric's practice report yesterday. And when he ends something with my goodness, I mean, that was pretty excitable for him that I literally envisioned him jumping up with a high five because the Padres just beat the Dodgers. I mean, he rattled off the depth, and that's where he was going with this. Is USC's defense this year, they can sustain an injury or two um, on the defensive line and still have enough players there to do what needs to be done. Um, and they're getting healthier at linebacker. So when you have Superman playing quarterback and apparently a young Captain America who's going to be taking over the linebacker unit, the secondary is going to be just fine with, with Kalen Bullock leading the charge. So a quiet confidence. It's deeper. They brought in better players. That's the takeaway going into the going into the season. And they've got, what, at least five games to, to work out any kinks before the season really starts to get serious. Eric, buying into what Mark is saying? I think that they're going to be pretty good. Now, I think it's important to keep in mind that offenses score points in college football. Like this, this is not a defense that's going to shut teams out and give up three points and, and, you know, hold everybody under 10 points. Like the teams are going to move the ball. Teams are going to score points. The, the D there's going to be a dumb penalty, right? Just because that happens. Like that, this is not going to be a buttoned up number one defense in the country. There's still a little bit away from that, but I did refer to this on on the message board as as the ship of Theseus defense because you hear so much all offseason. Well, how much? Right? Sorry, it's not ship of what? It's it's the third day meatloaf defense. So what, what's going on? You hear so much in the offseason from people about how much better can one defense get in one offseason? and it's like, well, if you replace each individual piece throughout the entire offseason, is that the same defense or is that a completely new defense? So trying to guess, well, they did this last year. And so now they're going to do this year. They've replaced so much. They've added so much to it. It does not look like what USC took the field with last year. Looking at the, the defensive line group going through drills and it's three deep with guys who would have been starters last year. I mean, I mean, guys who needed to play huge minutes last year are going to be kind of subbed in and out and and moving around and stuff. And so when you add that much talent and that much depth, really, I mean, USC was destroyed in the fourth quarter of games last year. I mean, just teams running up and down the field 
without that Corey Foreman interception against UCLA, I mean, it, it's even more drastic kind of what, ha- what teams did late in the year uh, in the fourth quarter against USC. I, I think they can get that buttoned up to where you have guys that are still fairly fresh coming in in the fourth quarter on that defensive front where you can affect games and, and get it done and finish games out on, on defense. We're going to, like Chris said, we're going to see what it looks like. And I don't think that San Jose state and Nevada tell you the whole story, but the last decade, how USC has played early in the year against teams that it should run off the field. It's told you a lot about what that team ends up looking like defensively. So I think they can make a pretty significant statement early in the year against a couple of those teams. But you look at guys they didn't have last year. Zion Branch is is making headlines this fall. Damani Jackson is doing really well. Those are two guys that they did not have last year. They're, they're two, two of their best 2022 signees. Uh, Eric Gentry, USC's undefeated when Eric Gentry is fully healthy and on the field. I mean, there were guys added to this roster who were on the team last year who just didn't weren't able to to contribute at 100% all the way through. And when some of those guys were off the field, Lincoln Riley talked a lot about bringing the floor up, right? You, yeah, you want to take the ceiling up. You want to take your top end talent up. But when that starter comes off the field, what does that drop like to the guy that, that's below him and then the drop to the guy below him? And that's really where the improvement on the defensive side, I think, has come in this year where you can really go two or three deep because you have to, I mean, you, you can't roll your starters out there for every single snap for a season. So I think that's where a lot of the improvement uh, has come from. And and that's especially obvious in that front six, uh, that, that defensive front for USC, they, they can do a lot um, up there and you hear the players, you can tell just kind of in, in the attitude guys have and, and how excited they get to talk about other players Anthony Lucas is not a guy that USC has had on the roster the past few years. Barry Alexander, the way players talk about kind of how he affects things and his athleticism and explosiveness. These are just, they're just not guys that, that USC has had a lot of. There's been a Drake Jackson and, and a Thule that have come through, but when you can line three, four of those guys up in the front and you've got guys like that in the second level and, and the third level in the secondary then, then the defense really starts to change. You're muted. Almost Greg. had it, Greg. Chris, take over here. Can you hear me now? Yes. That's a good sign, I suppose, or a bad sign. We'll see. Uh, I, I am. Uh, I I want to see. I wrote an article about this. I want to see them prove it on the field. Uh, I know that the reports are all glorious. I am concerned about the corners. Uh, I want to see if the transfers have motors that can play each game for 12 games during the regular season. I think that uh, it's pretty apparent that uh, Tackett Curtis is a stud. I wonder how much he's going to be, uh, uh, how long it's going to take for him to, to, to start at some point for somebody, uh, uh, I think he's that good. It'd be very interesting to see how they rotate him, but it, it should be it should be interesting all around. Uh, again, we are having technical difficulties, as you are aware of. We apologize for that. We'll try to keep moving on here. So uh, don't throw a meatloaf at any of us uh, if uh, 
if you get really annoyed at this because we're fully understandable about what it's like to struggle through this at this point in time. After all, it's still mock game week, so we get the kinks out this week when we really start it in. Um, let's uh, move on here. Uh, panel, uh, we're going to do what they call halftime predictions. Usually, we're going to have a sponsor next week. This will make sense, but scores in the show, we're going to insert that during halftime. It's a little bit like, uh, like Clay Hilton. When there's been a penalty call that he doesn't understand right there, you were temporarily frozen with your mouth open, Greg. It brought back ugly memories of uh, of a prior head coach. Well, you know, you know, I, I actually tour the country doing that impressions of of gentleman Clay, but that's uh, here nor there. So anyway, uh, generally speaking, at halftime this season, because we do have a new sponsor, second sponsor coming on board, we'll be doing predictions of games relevant ranked teams in the Pac-12 and selected national games. Uh, but at this point, we're going to use halftime uh, to transition to predicting scores, uh, not necessarily because there are no games this week, uh, but we are going to move to the Big Ten next season in 2024. So we're going to play a little game here called the Big Ten Yes or No. I've revised some of the questions to make it a little easier for our panel. Uh, so just answer, guys, yes or no. No no statements are really needed. So we're going to go with question one. It, we're going to go in this order. Eric, Chris, Mark, and myself. Again, Chris, Eric, Chris, Mark, and myself. So number one, yes or no. Trojans offense will average 40 points or more per game in 2023. Eric? Yes. Chris? Yes. Mark? Yes. That's it. Great job, guys. That's a wrap. Two, yes, the Trojans defense will allow an average. Yeah, that's a wrap. Yes or no, the Trojans defense will allow an average of less than 24 points per game in 2023. Eric? No. 24.1. All right. He uh, made he made a comment. He wasn't supposed to. You said just yes, just no. Okay. No. Would how would you we'll edit that like out? Have, don't worry about it. We'll edit it out. Greg, don't talk. It's not helping. <laughs> yeah. I'm that's the one thing. That's the one thing we need to edit out of the show is my my comment at the end. You're making it difficult. I'm making it difficult. You're making it. This is like watching USC struggle under help, and I wish you would stop. Um, okay, uh, all kidding aside, uh, Chris, did you tell us uh, is SC going to average less uh, than 24 points per game defensively? Are they going to av- allow an average of 24? Or less points per game? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Uh, Mark? Yes. Uh, I'll say no. Uh, Comment or Chris will yell at you. I'm not saying anything. Jeez. You've been Uh, saying stuff all day. We just can't understand any of it. (laughs) Question three. Yes or no? Private parking lots across the Coliseum this season will be charging $85 or more per car. Eric? Sure. I mean, I, I don't I don't know what the going rate is. Sure. Okay, that's a cop-out. Chris? On average or every single game? I don't I don't understand the question. Well, I'm not surprised. It has to be elaborate with you. 
Private parking lots, Chris, across from the Coliseum this season will be charging $85 or more per car. For the big games, yes. For the small games, no. Okay, we didn't ask for a comment, but then you had to insert one. Mark? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yes, I agree. All right, quick quick answers. Question four. Yes or no, Caleb Williams will throw at least five touchdown passes in three or more games in 2023. Eric? Yeah. Chris? Yes. Mark? Yeah, definitely. I agree. Yes. All right, question five. Yes or no? True freshman wide receiver Zachariah Branch will score at least seven touchdown receptions in 2023. Eric? No. Chris? No. Mark? Yes. Uh, I say no. Question six, yes or no, the high temperatures that kick off for both San Jose State and Nevada will be at least 85 degrees or higher. Eric? Sure. Chris? Yes. Mark? Yes. I agree. Yes. Question seven, yes or no, the Trojans will have some slight altercation, alterations or additions to the uniform at some point in 2023. Eric? Am I going to get yelled at if I add a comment to Eric, this? Eric, it's yes or no, Eric. We didn't call for a dissertation. If the alteration is like the yellow tights that some of the guys started wearing last year, then I'd call that an, an alteration. Someone's coming up with something like that. But an official change to the uniform, no, doubtful. Okay, Chris? That's the one he couldn't help but break the rules over, that question? I hear uh, you. Okay. Hear no, you. No. People, people get touchy about their uniform. Uh, discussions. So Eric's yes on the yellow tights. I'm going no. Mark? I'm going to say yes, no black. Let's just get that out of, out of the way. Uh, I'm going to say at some point, yes. Uh, question eight. Yes or no? USC players will all be wearing the same colored football shoes and matching socks throughout the 2023 season. Eric? No, the yellow tights were last year. Got to go. Got to up that game. Tie dye, maybe this year. Let, we'll, we'll see something. Okay, there he goes again. I'm trying to get through this. Yes or no? <laughs> All right, Chris. Yes. Mark. No. All right. Uh, I he was say, waiting for you to uh, add comments, Mark. He loves when you add comments I, to this. I don't want. I don't want to make. Look at. Okay, I'm. I'm going to say. Uh, uh, they will not all be wearing the same color shoes and matching oh, socks. Okay. All right. Uh, question number nine. Yes or no? Backup quarterback Miller Moss will throw over eight touchdown passes in 2023. No. Eric? No. Chris? No way. Mark? Yes. All right. Got him. Mark's got him with 45 touchdown passes this well, year. I have him playing a lot in the first two games. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it's possible, but I, I'm going to say, I'm going to go yes. And last question, guys. Uh, yes or no, San Jose State will bring at least 10,000 fans to the game on Saturday, August 26th. Eric? No, that's that seems like a lot. Chris? Uh, I'm going to comment on this one. Their home attendance averages between 15 and 17. I don't think they're going to bring 10,000 to the Coliseum. Mark? Next. Uh, I say no. 
All right. Do you think they'll, do you think they'll outdraw UCLA this year, though? If they average 16,000 at home, do you think that's more than UCLA will average? That's yes, a or question no. yes or no, no comments. Okay, I, nobody's going to answer I, that I, one. We'll just I, move I, on. I, Greg, I, don't worry about it. We're just going to move on. <laughs> Friends, before we move on to the second half of topics here on the huddle, Again, a reminder, we encourage those of you watching inside the Trojan Shuttle on sites like YouTube to click the like and red subscriber buttons. It's greatly valued, appreciated, and it's free. And a reminder, you can also listen to inside the Trojan Shuttle on many available podcast sites. Be sure to check out wersc.com and become a premium subscriber. So with that, let's get to the third quarter recruiting panel. We kick off the third quarter of inside the Trojan Shuttle with this. Can't wait. Great July recruiting month. From this point on, how meatloaf sounds really good right now, guys. Back regarding the so, guys, what do you think? What do you think USC's recruiting class will do the rest of the of the twenty twenty four year? Uh, Mark, go ahead. That's a great question, Chris. I Thank think you. it's an outstanding question. So I think what's going to happen is we are at the point now where the top uncommitted players that USC is after are going to go into their wait and see mode. There's a couple of guys that are that are getting ready to make a commitment. Uh, one is linebacker Chris Cole. Another is um, Jalen Harvey, the rush end from out there in uh, Maryland. So those are two guys that USC are hot and heavy after. But I think for the balance everybody's going to say, all right, let's see what that USC defense looks like. And then you might see that mad rush again, like you saw in June, uh, sometime during the season. I don't know if anything's going to happen outside of maybe getting two commitments between now and the end of September. Uh, I think everybody should probably just kind of focus on the season because I think that's what the recruits are doing right now. They've got their own high school seasons to focus on, as well as you know, putting that USC defense under the microscope. I don't think anybody's concerned about offensive recruiting. It's a matter of can USC show enough to make those skeptics out there get off the fence? And then I guess the other thing is, is USC going to reevaluate their their whole NIL uh, program with high school recruiting? I don't think they are. But then again, I don't want to hear any more prospects out there saying, yeah, we were just waiting for the so-and-so team to, to get the move to to join the Big Ten, um, you're starting to see some stuff going on in the recruiting world that USC might have to readjust. All right, Eric. Yeah, I think it'll, I think the recruiting will mimic how well USC plays. I mean, I, I think that's kind of the the weight now. A lot of these defensive prospects wanted to see that. Mark's right. There, there's a couple big time targets for USC that are scheduled to announce soon and they'll get a chance to to I guess see a little bit of the the season first but I don't know how much it'll play for those two specifically but there's some big names locally that are committed to other schools that I think a lot can I mean this is this is a decade between now and when they officially sign in December like there there is so much that can change between now and then there's so much that can change in the last 48 hours before before guys sign the idea that like what USC's class looks like now and the players that USC is in on now, that's it. There's no, there's no change. That is, that is not true. USC is going to stay involved with the guys that they want to be involved with. 
there's guys that are going to put together really good seasons this fall that jump up and, and USC wants. I mean, what, what we know about these coaches just based on these 2023 true freshmen is that they're probably going to hit on guys where they like the film and they can see, yeah, there's something there that that guy is going to develop and keep getting better. That's something that I don't think USC was good at. And a reason that the seasons went the way they did some of those years, I think they, there were, there were classes that were pretty reliant on guys that were really good as sophomores became big names and then they became the must-get guys in that class over a guy who got better and better and better and better and maybe didn't hit that four-star, five-star kind of thing. But th- those are the guys that you really want to add. And so when a new name pops up during the year, a lot of people who follow recruiting, well, who's that guy? I don't know that guy. Now we're swinging at our plan B, plan Cs. And those can turn into turn into plan As based on kind of how well they do that senior season, because you want those guys that are ascending. You want those guys that are going to get better and better and have not maxed out as high school sophomores or or juniors. And a lot of the big programs are, are good at that, uh, at identifying those, those players. And that's what USC I think has shown a, a real strength at doing. So yeah, recruiting is, is fluid, right? That that's going to be my answer. <laughs> Whatever it looks like right now is not going to be what it looks like when it comes time for guys to actually sign. Chris? Yeah, those guys had it right, but I'm going to pick up on something that Mark had talked about, and that was uh, NIL and high school players. Lincoln Riley's not going to change his opinion on this, but you know what? We actually don't need him to. If you're an extraordinarily wealthy USC alum and you're watching this show, and that's probably not happening, this show is no way to get ahead in life. We can't even afford to get uh, to get Greg good Wi-Fi. But, uh, try to find an internet mogul, right? That's, that's yeah. what we need first. That's we need we need a new sponsor. We need somebody who does who does uh, internet stuff. Uh, look, you don't have to have Lincoln Riley do anything for you if you want to know which recruit you should offer money to. Send me an email. I will tell you, and then you can sign them to a deal. You don't even have to talk to Lincoln Riley about it. USC fans, you can take this into your own hands and you can solve the high school NIL issue. Just go offer somebody a contract. It can be like a one paragraph contract with a $275,000 check attached and we're good. So if you want to do that, and if there are USC fans that are just itching to give hundreds of thousands of dollars to 17 year old kids, uh, let me know and I will point you in the right direction. I, I think that um, it's all wait and see. Nothing is official until the, the signing date in December. I think they're at SC could could find if the season really goes well, uh, some guys flipping back to SC. I hopefully on the defensive end of this. Uh, I think it's kind of settled down, and I think uh, we'll have to wait happens as the SC season unfolds. That that may sway some minds right there. Um, we learned recently that Bellflower St. John Bosco safety Peyton Woodyard has decommitted uh, from Georgia and has flipped to Alabama. He joins modern day and former Trojan recruit Zabian Brown in Tuscaloosa. Is it time to move on from Woodyard and Brown and just focus on other recruits or just take a silent T.O. on this? Uh, how do you feel about that, Mark? No, I, I, I think you probably just stay in the background and you continue to pursue these young men. 
which I have no doubt that the staff is still doing. Um, look, Marcellus Williams, I think he said it best. You know, he was born in 2005. He doesn't have a lot of fond memories of USC to, to fall back on. So he's not the only player who's in that boat. Again, I talked about it in the, in, with the last question. Chris has touched on it. Eric's touched on it. Just go out there and show these young men that, yeah, you can come to USC and you can get developed and make it to the NFL. That's basically what the holdup is with these young men. They just want to see it. So show it. I, we know that USC has a staff that knows how to recruit. We're now at the point, again, they just need to see a difference. Eric? There's, not, there's not a whole lot to add there. Yeah, you stay in touch with the guys you want, right? If the staff really wants those guys, you keep pinging them and you, you stay involved. Hey, you want to come to a game? You want to take a visit? You want to do any of that kind of stuff? And and you see how it goes. You see what their, what their interest level is like. Because if USC is really good, I mean, really good defensively, it's going to get, it's going to catch attention, right? I mean, that, that's, that's all there is to it is if USC plays well defensively this year, defensive players are going to say, okay, they're actually playing defense. All they've seen and all they've heard for their entire football playing careers is that USC doesn't play defense and it's not the best way to showcase yourself and to get to the NFL. That's it. That's all they've heard. That's all they know. I You can't blame them for not thinking like, well, this other guy, random USC fan, wants me to go to USC, so I should do that. They've been trained forever. USC's not the best way to make a statement if you're a defensive player. So it's, it's up to USC to change that. And it's always, it's always been up to USC to change that. Chris, do you agree? Yes, and I think it's a little bit too early to move on Woodyard. I, I want to wait until he flips his commitment to LSU and then try to flip him to USC after that. I think fourth time's a charm with him. That's all I'm going to say, Greg. You can. Talk uh, you've him. you've stunned him. Stunned him. He's he's frozen. Well, guys, do you think by the time uh, we get to the apologize for the obvious technical? Oh. <laughs> how come? How come when uh, Chris starts talking? I think it's this. I think this goes back to his thing with Oregon. He has become such a target in Eugene, that I think some uh, tech uh, nuts up there are are trying to sabotage our program because of Chris. And we you really think there's really an Oregon really... football fan out there that's smart enough that they can actually attack this program? You, see, see, what now... they, you see what they write in the comments? Half the words are misspelled. Those guys aren't evil geniuses. Don't worry about it, Greg. <laughs> All right. Again, uh, we're we're moving through this as best we can given the situation. Now, a tradition we've always had here at uh, We Are SC, uh, with tongue in cheek, I might add, is like the games at the Coliseum between the third and fourth quarter. The Coliseum torch gets lit. So I'm bringing back the Coliseum torch of We Are SC, and uh, we're going to light this baby up. I bet everybody uh, missed this. I bet. Well, this is the highlight. But what I am going to do... The lighter is working fantastically, by the way. We should put some of our lighter money into Wi-Fi money. Well, that's good. But I want to also bring in this guy, uh, little Caleb, who was a giveaway bobblehead at the Dodger game. Chris, you have yours, right? Yeah, I have two of them, Greg. 
I stole one from the kid sitting next to me. Well, you know, no one's shocked at that uh, because that's just a reflection of your behavior. Uh, but uh, this was a kind of a cute item. And uh, we'll be lighting the torch. Perhaps we'll be dedicating it to today. I think I'm going to dedicate this to the Oregon uh, 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 so with that, let's move on to the fourth quarter. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, panel, would you like? So Chris and Eric, if you had a choice, would you invite Notre Dame into the Big Ten or would you leave them independent? I appreciate that question, Mark. It's a good one. Can I start by saying that I think this show has been Greg's best performance ever? I mean, we've been doing this for probably a year and a half. I have never heard him as eloquent. The suspense uh, is phenomenal, right? Like, when yeah. when is it going? We, uh, it's, it's great. There's so much great to see this year. We're waiting yeah. and seeing on the USC defense. We're waiting and seeing whether the Greg will be able to talk or whether he'll be frozen. And um, yeah, there he is. He's moving again. Uh, do I look what I like to see Notre Dame invited? I think Notre Dame has already been invited to the Big Ten. Uh, they get invited every time they meet somebody from a Big Ten conference school. Would I like to see them join? I would. I think it would be good for the conference and good for college football. No, I agree. You know, it, I don't think that rivalry would ever end between USC and Notre Dame, but this is a great way of protecting it because I think we all agree that. Conference realignment and the direction of college football, they're not even close to being done yet. So it's its a matter of time of just getting the, the Power 5 schools into that 60-team pool and whether you, you divide it up by conference or whatever, uh, that needs to be one of USC's protected games. Obviously, UCLA is going to be the other one. Notre Dame has to be number two. I, I honestly, I feel like you rushed through the they're always going to be a rival and they're always going to play. I mean, I, you talk about conference realignment. If it ends up where USC and Notre Dame are in completely different conferences and there's something that comes down where, I mean, if you're going to sort of an NFL model and that kind of scheduling, what, what happens to non-conference scheduling? I mean, do you, do you get to a point with realignment where no, you only play big 10 teams, you only play SEC teams. I, I just don't know if you can firmly say, that you're going to be able to keep these rivalries all the way through. Cause we've seen a ton of long, long, long standing big rivalries get pushed aside by realignment. I don't think there's any guarantee if Notre Dame does join a conference and it is not the big 10 or whatever they're called when the merry-go-round stops. I just don't know if there's going to be a guarantee out there that, Oh yeah, you, you, you can play this team that's in this other conference or that's stretched all the way over here every year. I, I think that there's, I, I think there's questions about that. I mean, I think there's questions about how all of this looks at the end of it. But again, the thing that gets thrown out the most often is that NFL model. And that, you know, outside of your division, there's no protected rivalry game or, or anything like that when it comes to that. Well, that's, and that's where I guess where I'm coming from. If you want to keep college football separate from the NFL, you have to have those protected rivalries. That's kind of what makes the NFL special. You talk about the divisions, Cowboys, Redskins, Cowboys, Eagles, they're going to play two times every year. And that's a marquee game. Same thing with the Raiders, Chargers. Those types of things have to stay in play at the college level to maintain that line on the sand. Which is, 
which is why ultimately, yes, right. Would love to see Notre Dame in whatever alignment or division or whatever USC is in to keep those together. I mean, you Oklahoma, Nebraska went away. That was a top three rivalry and it just disappeared. I mean, Nebraska kind of also disappeared about the same time, but still, you know, Texas, Texas A&M, which they're going to start up again now, but that went away for a while. That was a top 10 rivalry. I mean, these were, these were big games. Uh, I think that Notre Dame, uh, I would like to see him there, but I think the Big Ten does protect these rivalry games uh, that you can kind of say every year we're going to play this, this, this team. SC is currently with UCLA for uh, next uh, two years. I think obviously that's going to continue. They could do that with Notre Dame without a problem. Uh, uh, panel, what do you see uh, Cal, uh, Stanford and or Cal, do you see them being invited into the Big Ten? And uh, should Oregon State and Washington State join the Big 12 or the Mountain West Conference, Chris? I would like to see Stanford in the Big 10. Cal, I'm a little torn on. I don't have a problem with them being there. But Cal just doesn't put forth an effort. I mean, can you please put forth an effort, Cal? They don't try. They don't try. They're just content to be garbage consistently. And I don't get that. Uh, I, but, you know, ultimately, I would rather see them there than see them join the ACC or something, which is ridiculous. Um, but at the same time, I don't know that either one of those programs adds much in terms of revenue. So I'm not sure they're going to get an invite. Uh, maybe they could on an Oregon plan where you get them uh, off the uh, off the discount shelf. Um, Oregon State and Wazoo, they should go to the Big 12 if they can. I'm not sure they're welcome. I mean, the Big 12 gets $31 million a year. The Mountain West gets five. I don't think that's a difficult choice. If you, if you get a shot at the Big 12, you go. I'm not sure they're going to. I don't think they bring enough to the table. I think they, uh, I think they water down the, uh, the, t- the television money and everybody gets a little bit less. So I think they're probably going to be left out. But I hope not because I would like more for their fans. Oregon State and Wazoo have absolutely nothing going for them in terms of tradition and location and recruiting grounds. But actually, both of those programs have managed over the last 20 years to field quite a few competitive teams, despite their significant disadvantages. So I would like to see something work out for them. Yeah, I I don't have a whole lot to add to to what Chris said. Look, I think... I believe Washington State and Oregon State belong in the Big 12. Um, I, they're probably going to end up having to settle for the Mountain West, which I think sucks. But until, again, until this whole ground swell and everything, you know, that's shifting around kind of settles down, they don't have a lot of options. But I'll tell you what, I would love to see Oregon State and Oklahoma State play. I mean, two OSUs going at each other, two teams that wear orange and black. That those are those types of games are what make what makes college football fun. Um, Arizona and, and Stan, excuse me, Cam, Cal and Stanford. Yes, they belong with USC and UCLA in the Big Ten. This is how you're going to maintain the difference between college football and that NFL model. You have to keep those types of rivalries alive somehow. Otherwise, yeah, college football in 10 years will look exactly like the NFL. There's Greg, not gonna... Greg hated your answer, Mark. He didn't even stick around to listen to it. He just left. 
He's he's coming back for me now. Yeah, he's excited about yours. Hey, Greg, hurry up, jump in here. Eric's about to talk. So, it yeah. is so so talking Stanford Cal. It is wild to me just the history of the NCAA and college athletics and the student athlete and all of that. <laughs> it is wild to me that Stanford and Cal, two of the right the best academic institutions in the world, and two programs that dominate a lot of Olympic sports and put out athletes all over the place in all kinds of different sports. And that are huge pluses, right. To any sort of conference that they would be in from that are not in a, are are not like actively being sought out to be put in a conference and could wind up sort of nowhere. I do think that they end up, somewhere when all of this stuff gets finished but again that football revenue is driving so much of this and could push those two schools and just full athletic programs out of this is it's just it's such a wild proposition to me if if you had said this you know a decade ago or or whenever i chris is right about oregon state and washington state yeah get get to Line up all the conferences with how much money you can get in each conference and just top top down ringing doorbells, right? Can we come in? Can we come in? Can we come in? Uh, I think that they'd be a fit in the Big 12. I still, that the Big 12 for now is going to survive over the Pac-12, even without USC and UCLA to me, is still kind of a, a rough pill to swallow because the Big 12, or the, the Pac-12, even without USC and UCLA, if Oregon's there, if Washington's there, Oregon State, Washington State, if Utah's there, the Arizona School of Stanford, Cal, that is a better football conference just in terms of top to bottom teams, Utah in there too, obviously, and, and Colorado now even. That's a that's a better football conference than what the Big 12 was, was shaping up to be before it added the, these Pac-12 schools. It's better. And, and the Pac-12's failure to see that take advantage of it and and keep the conference going is just i mean one of the all-time screw-ups i think when it comes to to college sports and and conferences that that's something that that i don't think anybody should get over all that quickly even though you have to or you're left behind because tomorrow we might have different conferences that that's how quickly this stuff seems to be happening well, I would like to see Stanford and Cal. Uh, you know, Cal really annoys me because they've got a beautiful campus a setting uh, for college football. If you've been to the stadium, it's a great place to watch a game. Uh, you know, the, the, the SEC kind of gets panned a little bit with their motto of uh, it just means more. Cal is kind of like it just means less. And uh, I think Chris made a good point. Look, if you're not going to take it seriously, then you shouldn't be playing at this level. Uh, because it's just an embarrassment. Uh, I feel bad for Oregon State and Washington State. I, if, if it would be better for their programs to be in the Mountain West Conference to make both their program and the Mountain West better, so there is some sort of identity of a conference on the western part of the United States, I, I'd be all for that. Uh, but I think when it's all said and done, uh, which kind of leads us into the final question that we can just briefly hit on, I think.
Guys, do you think that do you, you think should go go off script? Just whatever you want to talk about, Chris. Well, I'm probably going to do that anyway. I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and paraphrase his question, though. Do you think with the four remaining teams that are in the Pac-12 that somehow George Klievkov can save the Pac-12 in some Bye. shape or form? Uh, Chris, let's good, start good. with you. Uh, the answer is idea. the answer is absolutely not. It's impossible. I like the future of the Ottoman Empire more than I like the future of the Pac-12. It's done. It's over. The only people who are there are people that can't get out because no one else is ready to take them yet. Uh, it's just a terrible, terrible disaster of a situation. Yeah, there, there's there's no bringing this back. Um, you know, when you're on life support, you get there's a you get to a point where somebody has to make the decision. And when there's no future, and the conference has been brain dead for a long time to begin with, it might be time just to say, you know what, blast one out, turn out the lights, lock the door behind you. Who's going to be the last team out? It's this conference is dead, and it's a shame. You know, Eric, you touched on it. Cal and Stanford have produced how many Olympians? And now all of a sudden you're losing that. That that's a dynamic that doesn't get talked about enough. I mean, we're still going to be able to put out Olympic athletes, but you know, it's the Pac-12 really had a foothold there. That you know what, you want to be one of the top swimmers in the country, you go to the Pac-12. You want to play water polo, you go to the Pac-12. Baseball, you go to the Pac-12. You're losing that dynamic, and that's. That's the downfall of college, you know, losing its way right now with the direction it's going. Yeah, bring out the meatloaf, right? It's over. That's right. I think, put, I think put that's a fork a, in it. Put a fork in the celebratory loaf. Yeah, I think that's, we that's need to light. Saying, right? I, I think, I think, I think we're good. that we should light the the uh, meatloaf on fire between the third and fourth quarter. I think do a fillet job with a barbecue. I think that would be a good idea. Uh, all right, so guys. <laughs> This is the uh, huddle I think we've ever had, uh, to say the least. Uh, but we are going to get through it. <laughs> All right, we're in. We're in overtime. Off the stage. There you go. Get the cane. Get the hook. Uh, all right. Uh, overtime. Just a few questions here uh, from people that have written in on uh, through our uh, message board, the premium members message board. Uh, it says, Greg, early question for uh, next week's Trojans huddle. What is going on at the quarterback spot? Is Caleb just looking like Caleb at this point? Is Miller still the number two guy? Or is Malachi pushing him a bit? Is Kingsbury adding something to the quarterback room? Uh, this was directed at me, so guys, feel free to jump in here. I think Caleb looks like Caleb. Uh, I think Miller is the number two guy, but according to uh, – to the head coach, Malachi is uh, pushing him a little bit and has looked much better since uh, the spring. I think he said 50% better. And uh, is is Kingsbury adding something into the quarterback room? Uh, I can honestly say I'm not sure what he's adding, but I'm sure it's something. Uh, anybody got any other insight on this question? I think Caleb was still good. And I don't well, know whether... I don't know whether Kingsbury is adding more to the quarterback room than you have added to this program today, but I would say yes. And I can't argue with you on that one. That's for, that's for sure. Caleb goes to him with a question, and Cliff just freezes and stares <laughs> until he walks out of the room. Yeah, it get right. This guy, this guy is coached 
Heisman Trophy winners. He's coached in the NFL. He can answer the questions and be kind of a sounding board. And that's sort of what, what we've heard about Cliff is that Lincoln Riley is not available all the time to all the players kind of whenever they want. He does a good job of of being open and, and the players can go to him. But this is another guy with a ton of experience who comes from a similar background and has the same sort of understanding of offensive football and what it takes takes to succeed at every level that these guys want to get to. So that is anytime you can add voices like that to your offense, to your program, to your quarterback room, that that's big. Uh, I, I don't think Miller is, I mean, he's got to play like it right all through the season, but it would surprise me if there was a shift at two at number two in that quarterback pecking order this year. I think, I think Miller is going to be the guy this year. Uh, Malachi, just watching him throw um, in warmups and, and practice what we can see. Lincoln's right. He looks completely different than the, the guy that we saw during the spring game. And that's a, that's a good thing for, for the team and for him as he goes forward. Uh, and then Caleb's, Caleb's going to be Caleb. I mean, that's that's what we've seen from him. The idea that he could get even a little bit better from last year, I think, is maybe terrifying for everyone on the schedule. All right, uh, questions two or three, we've kind of gone over it, so I just want to give the people their props for, for uh, writing in. But uh, question two from Trojan from the Valley. You want to know how many touchdowns will Miller Moss and Malachi Nelson throw we kind of touched on that earlier uh i think that miller moss because of the the nature of the schedule will probably get about eight touchdown passes uh i think malachi nelson might get one touchdown pass at best this season uh does anybody else want to pass on a a thought on this i'm not convinced that miller moss is going to get all of the garbage time reps i think that I think that Lincoln Riley expects he's going to have a real competition on his hands next year between those two. And that means you need to get Malachi Nelson on the field. Also, he he needs to get some live reps. All right, man, we'll finish it out with this because I think it's almost a rhetorical question from Trojan forever in Philadelphia. What is your best guess on what happens to Stanford and Cal? I think we kind of went over that. Uh, My hope is that they go to the uh, big 10 be nice to keep the West Coast somewhat uh, together at some level. Uh, any other comments on that? You're all good? All right. Well, we, we made it through, apparently, uh, in, in, in some sort of good shape, bad shape. Again, a reminder, if you have a question or comments on our, for our panel, go to the WeRSE members message boards. Click on the thread that pertains to Inside the Trojans Huddle. And a reminder, if you enjoyed, I don't know if you could have enjoyed this uh, uh, podcast with all the I did. I thought it was fantastic. Well, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. You know what? I'm going to take that at at face value. I think you're right. I think it is the best broadcast we've we've done since this inception. But if you did like what you heard or what what you could make out, please click on the like and red subscriber buttons. Uh, We had 6.1 thousand people uh, last week. Uh, we can almost guarantee this uh, technical difficulty won't happen again, hopefully. We re- greatly appreciate your support, and be sure to check out wrse.com. Become a subscriber. That'll do it for Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle. Again, till next Tuesday when it all begins. A big thank you again to our panelists, Mark Culkin, 
Eric McKenney, Chris Arledge, great job, guys. And a special big thank you to all of you for watching, listening, or just being able to handle the technical issues of Inside the Trojan Saddle. Have yourself a great week. So until next Tuesday. Right on. It came so close. Wouldn't end it any other way.